0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Welcome to you. We are glad that you are here. My name is Tom Richter, and uh, I get to be part of the team of uh, teachers here at City on a Hill, though I myself am not a pastor here. I'm a pastor in uh, Jamaica, Queens, New York, and my church meets in the evening time, and so I'm able to spend Sunday mornings from time to time with you. And I've been going through a series called Getting Your Ducks in a Row. And the idea here is just getting organized around. You could have picked any Probably uh, self-improvement type areas of your life. Money, time, health, and our minds are what I have chosen. And we spent last week talking a little bit about money, looking at it from a biblical perspective. And today, time. And uh, time, as I... began preparing these messages. I thought I would knock out time in one Sunday, but uh, uh, we're going to do this over a couple Sundays. And so the series will continue. I'm not here next week, but good Lord willing, when I'm back with you in March, we'll just continue with this Getting Ducks in a Row series. And if James wants to pick up and uh, jump in on one of these, there you go. It's laid out for you, man. And uh, together, we'll get you through Getting Your Ducks in a Row. Uh, Before I go any further, I want to give credit where credit is due. You know that uh, like your pastor James, I'm the same way. I listen to a lot of different preachers, a lot of different sermons. I read a lot of books, and they help inform uh, and uh, uh, guide my own thinking on things. And sometimes, look, I'm not just listening. There's a guy, Andy Stanley. Now, this guy's out of Atlanta. If you've heard of Dr. Charles Stanley, this is his son, and uh, Andy Stanley, for me, he's, he's the guy that I listen to. And not just not just like, oh, wow, he helps me develop sermons. I listen to him just, just for me, you know, just to build my own. Uh, I need that, just to build my own faith and to encourage me. And uh, I give credit where credit is due. His stuff on time, you can look it up. It's called the Time of Your Life series. And if you listen to his series on the time of your life, A lot, I mean a lot of his material is in my sermon today. So if you listen to that, I don't want some awkward email where you like email Andy, you are plagiarizing Tom Richter. No, 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 no. It's the other way around, all right? I am plagiarizing Andy. And so uh, I encourage you to check him out. And if you want to hear this material done even better, listen to Andy Stanley the way he does it in a series called Time of Your Life. Uh, One of the things about time, when we think about time today, is that uh, uh, something we can all agree on is how time conscious we are. You are never that far away from something that tells you what time it is, right? Right? I mean, uh, like there's a clock right here in the back, I noticed. We, uh, uh, we have our cell phones now to tell us time. Before cell phones, there were these things, wristwatches. Now they're just pointless fashion. But, you know, at one point, you needed them to tell the time, right? We're never that far away. You are always looking, hey, what time it is throughout the day, maybe a dozen times a day, maybe more. What time is it? If you're in school, right, there's clocks all over. When I was in junior high we had a teacher pretty funny sense of humor and he probably got tired of everybody looking at the clock you know and he had the clock on the side of the wall and everybody's looking at the clock so eventually he noticed we came in one day and he had put a sign under the clock that said the time will pass will you right? <laughs> stay focused kids you know <laughs> It's true, you know, and and the problem with checking out the clock all the time, the problem with being so time conscious, the problem with always asking this question, hey, what time is it? What time is it? We've got to know what time is it. The problem with asking that, with making that the focal question, hey, what time is it, is that it is a constant reminder of the most depressing thing about you, that your time is running out, right? Right? I mean, the, the problem with constantly checking your watch is that you, you, you're, you're, you're reminded of this, this fact that we can all agree on that time is, is running out. I mean, think about it. We have calendars on our wall where we can watch the days just being crossed off. And if that's not enough, we have you know uh, 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 cell phones and stuff, and we can see the hours going by. And some of you have a second hand on your watch, and you've always wondered, like, what is a second hand for? The second hand is so you can literally watch your life slip away, tick by tick by tick, right? Aren't you glad you came to church today? A real, kind of a real pick-me-up on this. And doesn't time go faster the older you get? I mean, we know scientifically maybe it doesn't, but we experience time faster the older we get. Isn't that true? Like when you were a kid, Christmas is never going to get here, right? Christmas takes forever, and the time goes so slow. When you get older, dude, it's Christmas every other month, isn't it? Did we ju- wait? How is it Christmas again? We just had Christmas. I'm still writing 2005 on my checks. You know, right? You know what I'm talking about. The theme that time goes by so quickly is actually something that is a theme that's prevalent throughout the whole Bible. And so, I wanted to start our thinking on time by looking at some happy thoughts from the Book of Job. <laughs> You're laughing because you read your Bibles, and you- All right, here we here's one. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. You'll probably never see that on like a calendar or like a Hallmark card. I mean, can you imagine what's written on your day timer? I have Job 7, 6. It's my life verse. It's so quick. And uh, how about this one, Job 9, just in case you didn't get the point, a few chapters later. My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Yeah, so, you mean you didn't have any joy in your life, Job? No, it means I didn't even get to see any joy. It just went by so fast. So the point is, time flies, and we probably uh, can all agree on how fast uh, time is flying by. And as if all that weren't enough, while I was preparing this, someone introduced me to deathclock.com. Anybody? Yeah? Just me? Great. Uh, you can go to death, don't, but you can go to deathclock.com and you type in a little bit of biographical information about yourself and it tells you the day you're going to die. Yeah, and, isn't that great? And in the top, you can type in a little facts about your health, you can say optimist or pessimist and it really changes, you know. And in the top corner, you can have a countdown clock with just seconds left to live, yeah. And I'm just watching this going, this is sermon preparation, this is me, this is me, Right? So there we are. Time is flying by. So I think we should all agree that the question we should be asking is not what time is it, because really, I mean, obviously some of this is tongue-in-cheek, but I'm not giving you anything that's new. I'm just reminding you of something that we don't necessarily want to think about. But the idea, what time is it? What time is it? There is a much better question we need to be asking. Not what time is it, but if time is going by so quickly, then the question we should be asking is, what am I doing with my time. right? That's the question we want to ask. What am I doing with my time? And here we get some real help. Not from Job. We're we're done with Job. We get some real help from one of the Psalms uh, from a man named Moses. Now Moses actually wrote one of the Psalms. Did you know that? When we think of the people who wrote the Psalms, we normally think of who? David. That's right. King David. Because he did. He wrote most of them. But Moses actually wrote a psalm thousands of years before David. And I want you to turn there, if you have your Bibles, to Psalm chapter 90. This is a psalm written by Moses. And Moses is a guy we should listen to on the concept of time. And so while you're turning there, I want to give you a little background. Here's why I think Moses is the authority to talk to us on the subject of time you remember the story of Moses, right? We've talked about this. We did a series on Exodus. You know your, your Bibles. Moses, uh, possibly one of the most famous characters in the Old Testament, though he was a Hebrew saved by this miraculous plan, though he was a Hebrew, he grew up as an Egyptian, right? And so as a little baby, he was taught from a young age how to talk like an Egyptian. He learned how to walk like an Egyptian. Anybody? 80s? I thought I'd throw it in there. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Somewhere in his 20s, he gets fed up with the idea that the Israelites are being treated like slaves. He gets fed up with this. This sense of justice overtakes him. And so he kills one of the uh, Egyptian taskmasters. And then another. And he realizes, one by one, this is going to take forever. You know, eventually, he, he's like, I'm out of here. And he, he flees, right? The first exodus. Not with the people of Egypt. This is him running for his life. He ends up on the backside of a mountain in Midian. And for the next... And I want you to let this sink in. This is why I think he's an authority on time. I want you to let this number uh, sink in. For the next... Forty years of his life. What some would say, right, from his 20s uh, to like his 60s, what some would say were the best 40 years of his life, nothing. Sheep, sheep, sheep. All day long. (laughs) He doesn't even need a watch. Here's his life. He walks out and just checks, is the sun up? If it is, I'm out with the sheep. He walks outside. If it's dark, I'm asleep with the sheep. Period, that's his day. That's it. He's not assuming God. He's not assuming purpose. He just wants to sort of live out his days, and that'll kind of be it till he gets to the end of his time. That's it. And 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 he'll do the same thing tomorrow. Look outside. Is the sun's up? I'm out with the sheep. If the sun is down for forty years, nothing. Talk about a routine. But then after forty years, God says, "What? Hey, I have a purpose for you, Moses." And you know the story, the burning bush, right? And the rest and the Pharaoh and the Red Sea, the rest is Exodus. That only comes after 40 years there in the wilderness and suddenly realizing God has a purpose for his life. And so he's got this incredible perspective on time. And in this psalm, he's going to give us his perspective, the Bible's perspective on time. And before I read it, I just want to set this up. Here's what he's going to tell us. Here's what he's going to tell us. When it comes to time, And it makes sense of even kind of me joking about how short our time is and all that stuff. It all comes together. When it comes to thinking about time, context is everything. And the appropriate context for your doctrine of time, the appropriate way for you to think about time, the concept, the context for time is not the bookends of time is not your birth to your death with you in the center. No, 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 no. The proper context for thinking about time, the only way time makes sense, is from everlasting to everlasting with God as the center. With God as the main character. This whole story not about your little tiny snippet with you as the main character. No, 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 no. But this eternal story unfolding with God as the main character. And that we have been invited. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But, the, but that's, the, I want you to see the context of time is not our itty-bitty moments of time, but our itty-bitty moments of time must be injected into the larger story that's happening, the larger context, from everlasting to everlasting. Because if you don't do that, and you, and you start to think, and you, I'll even show you, we'll read through this, you're going to at some point go, well, man, this sounds sort of depressing. I mean, it all happened so fast, you're eventually going to ask, well, what's the point then? What's the point, right? And it takes a few years to get to that question. I'll grant you that. Look, when, you're, when I was 16 years old, I was convinced I was the point of life, right? Right? I mean, when you're a teenager, and if you're 16, I'm not knocking, I'm not hating on you. It's just like, you know, like there's 16, 18-year-olds going, what, wait, what? I'm not, wait, what? Right? Because you've got your whole life in front of you and all your decisions and people are supporting you and know, all that stuff. I get that. We've all been there. But, but you've got to move past that. We've all, we've all seen people who never move past that. They become dictators of countries or dictators of little families or dictators of corporations. They're miserable to be around. You never want to work for somebody like that who never got past thinking the world revolves entirely around them, right? The people who are like, oh, I'll I'll screw in a light bulb just by standing here. I'm sure the earth will turn, right? You know, those people, right? They're no fun, and they ruin stuff, and history never speaks well of them. And Moses says, look, if, if the whole point of your life is just that little tiny context, if you don't begin thinking about time biblically properly, you very well could end up in that kind of place. All right, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here we go. So Psalm chapter 90, I'll walk you through verse by verse. And remember that um, uh, this is a poem. This is, uh, uh, so it's got some flowery language, but it's okay. We'll talk through it. Here we go. This is awesome. Lord, he says, this famous psalm, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. As in, our hearts find a home in you alone. And that's been the case from. Everlasting to everlasting. When he says our dwelling place, he's talking about the nation of Israel. These are his people that he brought out of, God brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and Moses led them. Throughout all generations, mean even before I was here, you have been the dwelling place. You've been the bookends, the context for a human life. I love this. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. I'll say it again. The bookends of life is not your birth to your death with you at the middle. The proper bookends for thinking about time is from everlasting to everlasting with God as the center. And the only way to understand your purpose, your meaning in life is to see it that way. That I fit in somewhere to the story of God that is from everlasting to everlasting. Otherwise, your time is too short to build any significance on your own. Look at verse three. I love this. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. Sounds like Gandalf. Return to dust. I just sort of out-geeked the whole church. But you turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. Now, why is this so important? What? Return to dust, you mortals. Look, look, look. what's he saying? He's saying, no matter how cool you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how long you live or how great your influence, no matter how much awesome you pack in to your little life, oh, and by by the way i 'm Moses at the end of it, return to dust, return to dust, you mortals came from dust back to dust because you 're mortal, no matter what now, th- thank you, Moses. oh, hang on, hang on, it get, get, gets worse uh, th- <laughs> A thousand, now you've heard this, right? This, this is pretty famous. You hear people talk about this in church. Uh, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard this one in some form or fashion. It's also mentioned later in First Peter. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Anybody ever heard that? That a thousand years are like a day under the Lord and a day a thousand years? Yeah. <laughs> there's, an old jo- there's an old joke about a dude who asks God, hey, um, God, you know, I heard a thousand a thousand years are like one day, yeah. So if, is that true of money, too? And the guy's like, yeah, I guess. All, all right, God, then can I have uh, one, just one dollar? <laughs> and God says, yeah, I'll give it to you in one day. Right? You get this, uh, <laughs> The point is, it's a stupid joke, but the point is a thousand years are like a day that's just gone by. Now, um, uh, uh, you can, th- it's poetry, so you're not necessarily uh, uh, want to take it literal, but what if we did you know where 1,000 years ago was? I'm not a, if only we had like a AP U.S. history teacher or something that could help us. But uh, I'm not a history teacher, but I, I have Wikipedia. And uh, so I looked it up, and a 1,000, you can actually look up what was happening on this day 1,000 years ago. And of course, they're guessing, you know, because a 1,000 years ago, just before the Crusades. Just before the Crusades. It's like, I was going to say 1,000 years ago, right, which brings us back to the, 1,000 years ago. And for, from the perspective of eternity, God's like, oh, that was like breakfast. I was like, oh, that was, that was earlier today. A thousand years, like a day. Now, how long is your life if a thousand years are a day? Moses says, hold on, hold on. No, 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 it's worse. A thousand years in your sight are like a day. No, 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 no. better yet, are like a watch in the night. What? Oh, you would take the 12 hours of nighttime, and you're guarding the fortress or whatever, and it'd be like, okay, you take a watch, and we'll sleep. And then we'll take they would divide it into three or four watches of either th- three or four hours, depending on how many watches. So three or four hours. A thousand years in light of eternity is like three hours. I did the math on that. If a thousand years is to three hours in light of eternity, then what's a human lifespan? C- carry the one. Uh, if, uh, if a thousand years is like, feels like three to four hours to God, then your life is 12 minutes and 36 seconds. That's a human life. About 12 minutes. In the length I've been preaching so far... Birth, death, marriage, right? Uh, the whole thing. I mean, can you imagine 12 minutes, 36 seconds? What if that were our perspective on life? We'd be like, oh, you're so young to get married, you're only four minutes. You should wait till five. You're older, you're wiser, your career's all set. Some of you, in about five minutes, you can draw, you can draw Medicare, you can draw Social Security, right? Like today's show, we celebrate people that are 14 minutes. Uh, What's your secret to long life, right? (laughs) 12 minutes, 36 seconds. Can you imagine? So from the perspective of everlasting, that's a human life. He puts it this way, 12, 12 minutes, 36 seconds. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like new grass of the morning. Okay, awesome. They start out great. And in the morning, it springs up new. But by evening, it is dry and withered. Okay, thank you, Moses, right? So what's he saying? I mean, what's is this going to be like the single most depressing sermon you've ever heard in your life? Maybe. (laughs) What's he saying? Is he saying? There are a lot of us, because I get it, man, we're cynical and... I'm the same way, and we hear this stuff, and what we're tempted to say is, well, then what's the point? I mean, is what he's saying here that, well, you know, life's short, and then you die. 12 minutes and 36 seconds. And some of you came in here, and you're image-conscious, and you're worried about, and the Bible says you're dry and withered. Great. Thanks a lot for the encouragement, right? Is that it? That there's just, what's the point then? Hey, eat, drink, be merry. It's over in 12 minutes and 36 seconds. And my point, Moses is not saying that, yeah, oh, you're insignificant. That's exactly his point. You're life is totally insignificant if all you get at 12 minutes and 36 seconds your life is exactly too short to build anything of lasting worth on your own if all you have is your own story if the whole universe is just your story then yes yes it's insignificant but but if our dwelling place is not in our own little story But if our dwelling place is in the story of God, which is what? From everlasting to everlasting, then your life has tremendous significance because your little story of 12 minutes and 30 seconds has been infused into the grand story of God, which goes on forever and ever. His point is not that life is insignificant. It's not that life doesn't matter. It's just the opposite. He's saying, look at the difference between God and look at the difference between human. Now, which story would you rather star in? Which story would you rather be a part of? You cannot, it is futile. Life is too short. It is futile to try to create a life of significance all on your own apart from God. Because quite frankly, you just don't have that much time. You can't create something meaningful on your own apart from God from in the context of God. You can't make this story about you and expect it to lead to any kind of real significance because you got 12 withering minutes. So he's saying, think if there was some way to be connected to God's story. I I heard it put this way once uh, a long time ago by Lou Giglio. No one is denying that a human life has significance and that a human life cannot be glorious. And Louie preached on Isaiah 40 was his text. I thought this was so smart. Isaiah 40 talks about the same exact concept. And the prophet Isaiah says, look... Think about it. The grass of the field, the flowers of the field. He says what? He says, all the men are like grass. They're like the flowers of the field. And flowers and a grassy field, especially on a snowy day, wouldn't it be glorious to lay your eyes on a sunny, grassy field, right? In fact, let's just do that now in our mind's eye in Aruba or wherever. We're looking at this beautiful. And now flowers on top of the beautiful grass, there's flowers. Listen, that's splendid, That's glorious. And I heard Louis say about Isaiah 40, he's saying, that's the life of a human being. It's absolutely glorious. It's absolutely splendid. But what does Isaiah 48 point out? It just doesn't last. It says, the grass withers and the flower fades. Right? Nobody's saying your life is not glorious. It just doesn't. It's just 12 minutes and 36 seconds is the problem. But that verse doesn't leave us without hope. It doesn't say the grass withers and the flower fades, period. It says the grass withers... And the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. That means being written into his story, what he says, stands forever. Let me see if I can explain to you this way. Uh, in a few Sundays, there, uh, uh, there's this thing called the Academy Awards. Or I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know when it is, tonight? All right, first weekend of March. You won't be here, you'll go to church. But like, you know, um, well, you guys you watch it at night. At my church, nobody better be there. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> There's going to be the Academy Awards. Now, they're going to give an award away for Best Actor and they're going to give one for Best Actress, right? This is the lead role. This is the role that everybody wants. This is the role of great glory. They save it till the end because it's one of the most uh, prestigious awards, right? Then they're also going to give an award for something called Best Supporting Actor or Best Supporting Actress. Now, here's the thing about that it's a weird award because I. In a way, it's like, yeah, we acknowledge you, but their job is just to shine glory on the lead actor, right? They're just furthering the story. Their job is not to be the lead. Their job is not to overact and muscle their way into the center spotlight. In fact, if they do, they'd be a terrible supporting actor. And so they actually give an award for, hey, you were in the background, you let this other person shine. And in fact, by you being in the background, they shined all the more brightly. That's it, man. You can either be the lead You can be the best actor in the story of you, which is glorious and really, really short. Or you can be the best supporting actor in the grand story of God. You're in the background, but your story will know no end. You know, everybody trying to get on the A list? You know, the celebrity A list? You know, I'm talking about that, that imaginary list where you're really cool, and everybody you've got to fight to stay on there. John Mayer wrote a song called Gravity about the fight to stay on top as it's pulling him down, right? L- l- listen, you, you can fight to get on that A list, and it, it'll be gone, man, 12 minutes, 36 seconds. That's not the A list you want to be on. Wait, wait, the list you want to be on is the Lamb's Book of Life because that is permanent, eternity. That's the A list we want to be on. There's a song uh, by LaCrae called Background, and Andy Mineo, who who uh, is from New York, uh, sings on that song. Acts, it's called Background. And, and the whole concept of the song is just what I'm talking about. He's saying, I- I'll, I'll play the background. I can take the background. And he's, he's, it's a prayer to God. He's saying, God, you can take the lead you can take the lead. I'll be in the background. And it's a song, like, for everybody who's ever been, like, a, a vocalist in the back of the choir, or one of the dancers in the, in the back of the show, right? He's saying, I'll hang out here in the background. Why? So that, God, your glory can be the point of my life, not my own glory. So please, you take the lead. I don't want to get in the way. And that, that's really what this, what this psalm is all about. Now, we, we, we don't always get that right, and God knows that. And so seven and eight point out something that that we know it may be tough to swallow, but it's true. We all have guilt in this area. Moses says, we're consumed by your anger, terrified by your indignation. In other words, we don't have, look, we don't have a right to assume God should just naturally want us in his story. Why? Because you've set our iniquities before you, Lord, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You can fool your preacher. you you, you, You can fool even your own family. Nobody fools God. He sees our secret sins. And so what right do we think? It, apart from grace, there's not even any hope that we have more than the 12 minutes and 36 seconds. So already there needs to be a God, and there not only needs to be a God for our life to make any sense, but there needs to be a God who will have enough grace to forgive sin and to invite us into his story. And this, this to me is remarkable. This, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. He's talking about what it feels like to know we are sinful and to not be okay with that. And, and, and you don't want to come to a church that says, oh, you're okay. When you know in your heart you're not, you want to hear a word of gospel good news. Now look at verse 10. This was, remember, this was written 3,000 years ago. And I know lifespans have kind of fluctuated. But couldn't this have been written yesterday? Moses says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if, we, if our strength endures. Right. Yet the best of them, meaning our best years, are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. what's he saying? Look, you you may live 70 years, 80 if your strength endures. That's great. Nice long life. But even the best of those years, part of what makes them so sorrowful, even if you're a child of God, even if you're a Christian, you're not guaranteed a life apart from pain. You're not guaranteed a life apart from sorrow. So even those best years, part of what makes them so sad is they fly away so quickly. Like even even the fact that you had good years is sort of sad because those good years went by so fast. And so he says all this hinges on and this is the part where I'm, I'm trying to make that turn to kind of bring it around to hope at the end, you know. But the trouble is, this particular turn is like an icy road in Middle Island. Like, if I, if I hit this turn too fast, if, if we miss this turn, then you're going to leave here like, yeah, single most depressing uh, sermon I've ever heard. And, you know, you just sort of crash off, off onto the end. But, but this turn, the trouble is, the turn is so confusing. It, it, it is a confusing, there's just no other way to say it. This is a confusing verse. It is a crazy English sentence. Here it is. <clears throat> if only, as in we don't, if only, as in we can't, if only we knew, implication, we don't know. If only we could see, what's he saying? We, we can't see fully. But if only, if somehow, another translation says, who knows, right? The power of your anger, power, anger, the idea of God, how big you are, how glorious you are, how we would be consumed by your might. If we could ever get our heads around that, then I give to you the most awkward English sentence ever. Here we go. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Wait, what? <laughs> I won't give you like a Hebrew uh, vocabulary quiz, but in Hebrew that sentence, your wrath is as great as the fear that is you your due. The greatest minds around the Hebrew and the greatest, you know, uh, translators, that's the best they could come up with and it's a lot better than I could do. The Hebrew is just two words. And it's got all these, like, enclitic endings. and it's, just, it's two words. And the best we can come up with is, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Now, what does that mean? Uh, he, he, here's, what I, here's, what, here's my paraphrase. Uh, and I'll have to back up a little bit to get there. Uh, uh, it, it, when he says, who knows the power of your anger? Or if only we knew the power of your anger. Here, here's what I think this verse is saying. If God were to fully reveal his glory, okay, if God were to just say, you know what, here it is, here, here am I in all my glory, we could not handle that, right? Did you know that? Like in the Old Testament, did you know that, that God was always hiding his glory? Same thing in the New Testament. It's almost like God had to keep his glory hidden a little bit because he knew if he, if he opened up all his glory to us in our current state, our heads would explode, right? Your eyes would pop out, you would turn to dust and all that Indiana Jones stuff, right? Right? It wouldn't work. Think about the Old Testament. Over and over again, people would get just a little bit of, the, God could just give a little taste of his glory, almost like a little eyedropper of glory from Genesis to Revelation. What, well, almost, at the end of Revelation, one day, but, but, but what's he always doing? He's taking a little eyedropper and be like, glory, glory, a little bit of glory, glory. And for Moses, he gave like, Glory, glory, glory. Like, I mean, like, gave, like, like, little drop. But think about it. The guy who saw the most glory in the Old Testament was Moses. And what happened to him? Remember, he had, God said, all right, but I'm only going to show you the back, and I'm going to cover you in the cleft of the rock. So you're, like, hidden in this rock, and you just get the back. And Moses comes down off the mountain, and he's what? Radioactive. That's right. What happened? I just saw the back of his glory in the, from a rock, you know, through a rock. And look at me, Right? So imagine the glory. I can show you in the New Testament, too. M- remember that scene when those big, bad Roman soldiers, that cohort of Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden? Remember that? Judas is going to betray him with a kiss. Remember that? This is told in John and also in the other synoptics, but, but, but John has this particular line. They come to get him. They bring a cohort of soldiers for a guy who'd never lifted a sword against anybody. All he'd done was heal. He, I mean, he was a healer. And they bring a cohort. There's a thousand, potentially a thousand centurions. And they come in there. And in John, you can read it for yourself. He, um, uh, glory, like, leaks out of Jesus. Uh, uh, they ask him. They say, uh, are you Jesus? And what he said, it, he, if he had just said, over here, or yo, right, anything like that, it would have been fine. They would have arrested him. But he said something very specific. And he said it in Aramaic, but it's, you know, ego me. It would have been the same thing. What he said was these two words. He said... I am. And if you know your Bible, you know that I am. It's a Hebrew. He translates Yahweh, which is the name for God. And when he said that a little bit, just an eyedropper of his glory, he says, I am. And because he said that, that those big bad Roman soldiers, pff, they fell down like they were dead. Just a little. All oh, Jesus had to say. Just a little. I am. Whoop, oh, oh. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Right? Forgot. Because he's so full of. It's like he's bursting with the Father's glory. And he's got to like rein it in. Because he knows it's too much for us to handle. And Moses is saying, if we could get our brain around that kind of glory. If we could ever, this is like my paraphrase. This isn't in the Bible, it's just my paraphrase. If we could ever see God as he truly is, we would give him the reverence that is his due. We would not be so casual about God. We would not be flippant about God. If we knew what he was really like, and, 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 and he's never going to reveal his full glory to us, thank goodness. You know, we're always like, God, we just want to, seek your, we want to see your face. God's like, oh. <laughs> no, you don't, right? You know what I mean, right? But you get what I'm saying. If we ever got our heads around that, we would do what? We would, we would say that his wrath is as great as the fear that is his due. We would probably say we would give him the reverence He is due. Now what does this have to do with the sermon on time? If we could see more clearly, we would live more purposefully. We would live with the end in mind. We'd say, wait a minute, I I got 12 minutes and 36 seconds. I don't need to invest those 12 minutes and 36 seconds in the great story of Tom. I need to take those 12 minutes and 36 seconds and with every single second, invest it in the great story of God. I need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If I could get my head around your glory, I need to be about what what you're doing. Okay, Moses, I get it. The the, the time is short that we only get 12 minutes and 36 seconds. But God is so big from his wrath to his anger to his power to his existence from everlasting to everlasting. So what do we do, Moses? Moses. What do we do? What is, what, what is our takeaway? How do we leave this place different with hope, with, with something we're supposed to do? And that's the next verse. See, here's the, that was the turn. Now here we are. Next verse. This is your takeaway. This is, okay, so what do we do? If, if God, if, if, if you're so big and, and, and we don't want to be that person who makes life all about ourselves, we want to see what you're up to. We want to inject our life in your, so how do we make the most of our time? Not what time is it, but what do we do with our time? Moses, how do we do that? Next verse. He says, pray. You want to get this right? You want to get in the right context? Pray. And specifically, pray this prayer. Teach us, oh Lord. Because I'm not, I'm not going to know how to do this on my own. Teach me. Because if you don't teach me, I'll try to figure out some other crazy way to do it and it won't add up right. So you teach us, Lord, to number our days. Teach us to number our days. Now, what does that mean? Teach us to number our days. Well, here's the cool thing: you've all done that. You've all numbered your days. Uh, if anybody in here is a married woman, you remember when you were a bride, or maybe there's a bride to be in here, like somebody who's engaged right now. Think back when you were a bride. Uh, I mean, I mean a uh, you know a fiance, and somebody came up to you and said, uh, "Hey, um, what wh- what day's your wedding?" You didn't say. It's in the fall sometime, I guess. I don't know. It's out there in the distance. New. No. What did you say? When are you getting married? 24 days, 2 hours, and 4 minutes. Here, fold these invitations, right? I mean, you... You were like, you had purpose. I mean, the thrust of your life. People couldn't even get around you. The next thing you know, they were going to be helping with wedding plans. You know what I mean? The whole thrust. That doesn't mean you didn't go to work. It doesn't mean you didn't do a few extra things. But the focus of your life was that day. Why? Because you numbered your days, you reordered the way you lived your life. Anybody in here who has a kid, you had a due date, right? Now, not so much with the third kid. With that one, you're like, eh, whatevs. But with your first one, okay? With your first one. What did you do? You lost your mind. You thought you needed all this baby equipment. You're like, oh, this is a crib. It's actually a Sherman tank, but they say it's safe. You know, like crazy stuff, you know. You threw out anything that you could have bought five years ago, because now the regulations are different. That's just a death trap, right? You had to go buy all new stuff and you got all that ready. Why? Because there is a due date. And because that due date is coming, your mind, you are in baby mode and you're, you're getting ready for that. You're living, right? If you had a big exam. Anybody take the bar exam? I talk to people who are taking the Bar exam what do they say don't talk to me for all of june right because their life has a certain purpose there is they have done what they've numbered their days you do it if you're in high school hey you got an exam coming up when is it five minutes you're gonna start studying right it, it, if you have a surgery coming up, what do you got to do? Oh, I got to do this, this. I'm not supposed to eat this. I got a big surgery coming up. I'm supposed to do this. You've you've planned it out. You're numbering your days. If you run a marathon, you say, "Okay, so I'm going to back up. I'm going to start training this day and I'm going to do that." And your whole life takes on a certain amount of purpose. You get what I'm saying? When you number your days, when you put something out there that goes, "No, I don't have forever. I don't have forever." I don't have forever. I gotta invest what I got. You suddenly see a sermon that tells you your life is 12 minutes and 36 seconds. It may not be the most depressing sermon in the world. It may be the most encouraging. Look, oh, 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 oh. your days are numbered. What do we do with a resource when we think we have an unlimited quantity of it? What do we tend to do with a resource that we think we have an unlimited quantity of it? We tend to squander it. Don't we? We tend to waste it. And it could be big things like fossil fuels. Or it could be little things like, you know, like at McDonald's, they put so many napkins out there, right? And you know your kids are so messy, you just can't help, right? You you know what I mean? Right? Because they're limitless, Big things and little things. If we think our money is unlimited, we squander it. Listen, if we think our time is unlimited, we do what? We tend to squander it. But Lord, if you'll teach me to number your days, that's not depressing. That means I want to live with some purpose i want to live i want to be like that that bride to be i want to be like that that pregnant mom who's who's looking out on that day that person who knows i've got that surgery coming i've got the test coming of that that marathon coming i want to be in a certain mode and because i know lord my days are numbered i want to be that guy who's like the whole thrust of my life is kingdom his kingdom that doesn't mean I'm not going to go to work. doesn't mean I'm not going to have some fun along the way. Of course, that's all part and parcel. But I want the general thrust of my life. Teach us to number our days so that, I, I got ahead of myself. Teach us to number our days so that we'll do just that. We may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you have any idea how valuable that is, what you're being offered today? A heart of wisdom this doesn't just mean you make a few better decisions with your brain. This means your heart is transformed to the kind of heart where instinctively the decisions you make lead to wise and good uh, uh, choices. That you have a heart of wisdom. It's almost like you don't have to think about it. Your, 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 your heart just naturally leads you in the right way. To get that heart of wisdom, Moses says, pray this, teach us to live as if our days are numbered. Why? Why? it's saying I won't know how to make good decisions. I mean, I may make some good decisions here and there, and I may get lucky, but by and large, I won't have that heart of wisdom if I always think about time in terms of my little context, my birth to my death with me in the middle. But I will make far wiser decisions if I think about you at the center, and I spend my time, Lord, arranged around your purposes. Why? Because my 12 minutes, awesome as they are, they're not ever gonna be significant unless they're connected to your eternal story, Lord. You will not make better decisions until your life is in the context of God's plan and purpose. I will make better decisions if I make them knowing my days are numbered. Uh, uh, think of it this way. It's living with the knowledge that your days are numbered that leads to better decision making. That's it. Since my days are numbered, Lord, teach me what to do with my time. Now that's it. Um, there, Like I said... It, to me, you could, you could leave and think that's depressing. But, but again, I'll, I've, I've said it like three times. I'll say it again. It is depressing if this 12 minutes is all you get. But with God as the center, to me what this is saying is, let's be real about the time we have and let's live every second for His glory. Teach us to number our days that we may glorify Him, live with purpose, fulfill His purpose for our life, glorify Him, and enjoy Him forever. Now, uh, I will say that, and you should read this when you get home. He does go on in the rest of the psalm, and he actually ends with Psalm 91. Some people think Psalm 91 is the counterpoint to Psalm 90. And so he says, I kind of took you through, I I really didn't, wasn't totally fair to you, I took you through the rough stuff and sort of left you there to read the good stuff on your end. But he says, if you'll do this once, this person who has this relationship with God, look at this stuff. He talks about have compassion on your servants, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. He talks about God's unfailing love, satisfy us in the morning. Did God Answer that prayer, or what? I mean, think about that. Three thousand years later, on Resurrection Sunday morning, on Easter morning, that's exactly what he did. He satisfied us with eternal love. He talks about favor, and then Psalm ninety-one is like fireworks. You know, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will dwell in the shadow of the Almighty, and that's the one about ten thousand fall to your right and a thousand to your left. You won't even dash your foot against a stone. And I mean, this amazing, you know, uh, praise to God for those who dwell in his dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. Those who find their story in God's story and not their own. But I'll leave that for you to read on your own. Your job this week, and I think it would be so cool if we all did this, if we took this to heart, is simple. Uh, I want us all to make this our prayer this week. So at least least once a day, make this your prayer. You can hang this on your refrigerator. You can hang this on your uh, mirror uh, where you uh, uh, look at yourself to get ready in the morning, whatever. And this, this would be the prayer, I would say. Uh, Heavenly Father, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom and fulfill your purpose for my life. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom and fulfill your purpose for my life. That's it. Uh, you can write it down. You, if you're really smooth, you could take your phone and take a screenshot of the screen right there and you'd have it there. I saw somebody in church do that last week at my church. I was like, wow, would have never thought of that. What a different generation, yeah. But, uh, but there it is. Heavenly Father, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom and fulfill your purpose for my life. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, forgive me when I have uh, made the The whole point of this story about my little story, my 12 minutes and 36 seconds, when in fact, uh, if I had had my my head on right, I would live for your glory, for your story. And Father, above all, I thank you this morning for the grace that you showed on Calvary's cross, and to think, Lord, that... We humans, with our 12 minutes and 36 seconds, we we have no reason to demand. We have no, we're not entitled to be part of your story. But you made a way. And Father, we praise you that you became so small, born as a little baby, born in a manger in Bethlehem, and you lived that perfect spotless life. And your obedience earned for us what we could not earn for ourselves. Your perfect obedience, Lord Jesus earned for us what we could never earn for ourselves. And when you stretched out your arms on that old Roman cross and they drove nails in your hands and your feet, your, your body was broken and your blood poured out so that we could be given the very righteousness of God. You fell on that. You absorbed that sin. You took that punishment that rightfully belonged to us and you did it for the joy that was set before you all our sin and all that wrath and the power of your anger who knows it? Jesus you knew it you knew it on the cross and you absorb that so that all who put their faith and trust in you don't have to ever, they're not going to perish they're going to have eternal life and I thank you for writing us into your story, I thank you God for the Lamb's book of life and that if our name is a word in that book, it's a your word goes on forever forever and ever we thank you for that great sacrifice that was paid and father teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and fulfill your purpose for our lives in Jesus name amen when we come to the when we come to the Lord's table it's a Visual reminder of what I was just praying about. I believe that with all my heart, you know. I believe that his perfect obedience, I mean, Jesus, Jesus' perfect obedience in life, his perfect death on the cross, he was like that sacrificial lamb that was perfect. I believe that that obedience earned for us something we could never earn for ourselves. And I believe as depressing as it is to look at a scripture and kind of, maybe not depressing is the word, as sobering as it is to look at a scripture and go, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sinful, and I'm not okay in the eyes of God. Yes, that is sobering, but isn't it just as joyous to know that that the Bible is true? Like, while we, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we cleaned ourselves up and we got our stuff all correct. No, 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 no. While we were still in sin. In the act of rebellion, while we were, While we were rebel sinners, hostile toward God, in that state, he stretched out his arms and died for us. Nobody dies for their enemies, right? If anything, they try to attack their enemies. What a strange enemy God turned out to be. He tried to spare the life of the people who tried to kill him he did that on on calvary's cross and i believe that what happened there was a transaction wherein all who put their faith and trust in jesus listen our sin our wrath it was poured all that wrath we deserve it was poured out on jesus and in exchange jesus can offer his righteousness freely the righteousness of christ can be imputed to you and that means i'm saved why because he saved me like i can't brag about it i can't boast what am i going to say i was really sinful But his grace is so good, see. Like, if I'm going to boast about anything, it's what he did. I may get a lot of things, like, wrong, and the Bible can be confusing and hard. I did, this is not wrong. The gospel, I've got this right. My sin was laid upon Jesus, and his righteousness is imputed to me. That's my only hope in life and in death, him and what he did. That's why when you come to the table week after week, that's why we have this reminder because it is the single most important thing about what we do as a church, that we've been saved, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has done for us something that we could never do for ourselves. And so we come to the table and we remember, right? That's what we're doing. We remember. Believers come to the table. All those who've made this transfer of trust. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to receive this good news of salvation. And believers, take this bread. And then we dip it in the cup. You're going to hear words people tell you to remind you simply, this is his body broken for you. This is his blood shed for us. This is a symbol to help the people of God remember just that, that we are, in fact, the people of God. Okay. Now, the ushers know how to prepare the table. And so I would say let's take a moment to prepare our hearts. The ushers will move freely about. They'll be lighting candles and getting things all set up. Don't let that distract you from what God might be speaking to you. You might even use this time to pray. Simply teach me to number my days. Get a head start on that prayer for the week. and uh, Or just sit there and enjoy uh, the good news of the gospel. Let it bounce around in your brain. that uh, while we were still sinners, he died for us. for us. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.